Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. Here to set you free. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in a talk. Speaking of talk, it is Valentine's Day. And uh, I just want to say to the gals out there, happy Valentine's Day to all those women who are my friends, my fans, my followers, my listeners, my viewers, my readers, and even to those of you who are haters. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you romantists. Uh, out there uh guys gals get your loved ones something special it doesn't hurt to do it one day a year even if it's just something that somebody put on the calendar that helps hallmark uh you know being a chick i can tell you guys we like stuff now and then we do we do we like to be treated a little special uh let's talk about special we have an extended version of Brit from the headlines today Awesome guest joining us from the Patriotic Millionaires, the Pat Mills. I'm your host, Leslie Marshall, and we're going to get to it. Let's kick it off and check what is ripped from those headlines. So there was a tweet this morning. Today is the anniversary of Parkland. Uh, It is the shooting, as you know, that took over a dozen children's lives in Florida. And it seems like yesterday... And for some, it will always be yesterday. Somebody that I've become friends with on Twitter and somebody that I have seen be treated so rudely by this administration, whether being escorted out of the State of the Union um, or being brushed aside by the president, vice president, other politicians, is a man named Frank Gutenberg. Frank lost his daughter, Jamie, two years ago today. Today's the two-year anniversary of Parkland, the shooting, the massacre at Parkland. Uh, At the Parkland, Florida High School, uh, 17 children were killed, and his daughter, Jamie, was among them. This is what he wrote. Two years ago, at approximately 7 a.m., I sent my two children to school. I was so busy rushing them out the door so that they would not be late that my final words were not, I love you. Jesse came home that day. Jamie did not. I sent my children to school where they were supposed to be safe. They were not. Jamie became a victim of gun violence. Two years ago, hard to believe, every day is a new journey where I try to learn how to move forward and not move on. That is my reality. People always ask me, what can they do? I will answer. I need everyone who reads this to promise to please vote. By this, I mean every election possible. Vote for Jamie Gutenberg. Vote for your own safety from gun violence. If you are not registered to vote, do it now. Half of the United States doesn't vote in the general election, and then everyone complains. This is not an option in this election. Vote for candidates who are decent, civil, and want to do more about gun violence. Promise to vote for Jamie. 
Yes, it is uh, not uh, Fra- Frank. It is Fred. Thank you, Marco. We had the, the I I know it's Fred. I should have corrected uh, the uh, typo there. It's Fred Guttenberg, not Frank. Thank you. Um, let me continue with his plea. On this Valentine's Day, I want everyone to look at those they love in the eye and tell them that you love them. Hug them and hold them tight as if it is the last time you will ever get that chance, as it is truly could be the last time that you will ever get that chance. <clears throat> Mark, I love you. My little brother, my executive producer, my partner in crime. I love you too. And that made me think of that when I <sighs> said goodbye to my five-year-old this morning and I walk her into school and give her a hug and kiss her. And I saw Mr. <clears throat> Guttenberg's pictures that he posted on Twitter with that message of his little girl growing up into the high schooler that she was when she was killed two years ago. And it just, it just rips my heart out. And I, I just, I can't believe that he can go on at all. It's just a testament to his strength for his daughter to go on at all, but not even beyond that to then use the situation in a positive way, try to turn this tragedy into something that will honor his daughter's memory by making sure that other parents don't ever have to go through this horror. And in the meantime, I think his message is just so dead on. I, I love you too. And I, I'm happy that you said that. And I feel good that I'm saying it to you because he's right. You just never know. I, I'll tell you, I just I started getting choked up when I read the part about rushing the kids out the door, forgetting to say, um, I love you. I try to say it every morning, but sometimes it's like, come on, come on, we're going to be late. Put the stuff in the trunk. Did you remember? Oh, come on. Did you remember your, you know, my daughter's name is Ella. Ella, that library book. We're going to get charged for that. Sebastian, my son. Sebastian, don't forget after school you have this sport, uh, soccer. Do you have your cleats? Oh, and, you know, we exactly. get, you, you know, just... you know what I asked my mom once who was 80? Um, if she missed us being little and she said yes and I said what would you do if if you had to do it all over again what would you do differently she said I would enjoy it and not try to just get through it it's so and true I, that that I could totally relate to because there are days where I wake up and you anybody can ask my husband when I wake up if, if he's there because sometimes he leaves before me being a surgeon he has early uh, surgery I say, let the games begin almost every morning. The alarm goes off. I lay there. I let out a breath and I go, let the games begin because Mark, you better than anyone know. Oh, yeah. I do not have a normal. <sighs> I have a, there are people that are busy, very busy, but uh, my schedule probably tops most busy and people. You're not and just, it's, she's not just it's saying of my that. own doing. I'm it's not just really saying it's is. of my own, it's, it's, it's of my it's own, insane. of my own doing. I mean, I have a, you know, we have a international talk show. I have a column. I am on television. And then twice a month or three times a month, I travel from Los Angeles to New York and D.C. and do television there. Uh, I, you know, I do all the cooking and the cleaning and the errands. I have two children and I have tons of activities in school. I have a husband. I have, you know, two companies. I have. Yeah, it's insane. But it's of my own doing. No complaints. No complaints at all of my own doing. And someday I'm sure I'll be bored if I ever slow down. But um, I have to say, when I get up in the morning, sometimes I do feel like I'm so tired. I have like things to do I'll get those done and then I'll just go to sleep once it's all done I'll just get through it do you know what I mean yeah, I'll just so get true. through it the you know like oh you know I'll just get oh my daughter it is hard to get out of bed she doesn't want to get out of bed I'll get just get through everything and it's so, so when my mom said that it really uh it resonated with me and um uh, Fred Guttenberg has been uh 
his daughter would be uh, proud of him. And I hope that we have posted uh, his tweet uh, online. We absolutely fact, did, yes. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's uh, Speaking of Fred, let's play Fred Guttenberg's uh, audio here on fighting for common sense gun safety reforms. The very first trip I made to D.C. three weeks after Jamie was killed, I had no secrets in my house. My kids, even if I wanted to put a code in my phone, they would have figured it out in three seconds. So Jamie, you know, picked up my phone one day and put on random days throughout my calendar what she called Love Jamie Day. And it was like a Valentine's Day on steroids. Whenever it would come up in my calendar, I would text her. Usually she'd be in school and she'd send me like these little happy emojis or whatever. But that would be the start of Valentine's Day on steroids and I would just worship my daughter that day. And I never thought about like how much that meant to me until three weeks after she died, my very first trip to D.C., walking into the Hart Senate building, I get a buzz on my phone, I look at it, it's a calendar reminder, Love Jamie Day. I sat on the stairs of the Hart Senate building, crying like a baby. Um, And then it hit me. That was Jamie sending me a message that she's actually going in the Senate building with me that she's with me, that, that she is right here on my shoulder. Um, you know, people always ask, do you get messages? I, that to me for sure was, and I sucked it up, and I uh, marched into the Senate building, and I started my day. I always now look ahead on my calendar, so I know in advance when Love Jamie Day is coming up, because they're always going to be on my calendar. Um, but, you know, listen, how do I get through those moments? Jamie, I remember why I'm doing them. I can't, you know, the day I will publicly turn to mush will be the day that we get to stand with the president who actually is signing gun safety legislation that's meaningful into law. That will be the day where I'll finally deal with a lot of grief that I've kind of bottled up. Um, but I'll worry about it then. Oh, just so powerful. I, I just, I can't, I can't even, uh, I can't even imagine. Um, I just want to say it's Valentine's Day, a day of love. And to all of you that have lost your children, especially at the hands of gun violence. Some of you have lost them on the south side of Chicago or in LA or in other big cities because of violence or drug wars, gang wars. Some of you, like Fred, have put them on a school bus or dropped them off in your car and never thought you'd never see them again due to the mass shootings and the so high number of mass shootings that we have in our nation and how many of them have been committed at schools and have, like Newtown or Parkland and so many others, Virginia Tech, that have broken up families and that have people today crying that they can't buy a Valentine's Day card or chocolate for their son or for their daughter. I just personally want to say as a woman that's buried a child, but not from a shooting, I um, I can't imagine your pain. I can't imagine the anger and injustice that you live with every day of your life. And I'm not going to send thoughts and prayers. I'm going to beg people to vote and change policies because that's the only way we're going to bring about change in the future uh, to save uh, our children. Let's rip another. 
The Justice Department recently opened an inquiry into the circumstances surrounding the FBI's interview of Michael Flynn while he was serving as President Donald Trump's national security advisor. Now, that's according to two people familiar with this inquiry. Flynn pled guilty, if you remember, to giving false statements to the FBI during the interview. Recently, he asked to withdraw that plea, further delaying his sentencing. Sometimes it is just to delay sentencing, by the way. The Attorney General William Barr asked the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Missouri, Jeffrey Jensen, to look into Flynn's FBI interview. Um, And this began this past month. Now, around that same time, federal prosecutors on the Flynn case came under pressure from senior Justice Department officials to recommend a lighter sentence for Flynn. Sound familiar? Hello, Roger Stone. Than they had proposed, according to, again, people familiar with this matter. Now, this inquiry comes amid growing criticism of Barr's efforts to take a heavier role in matters within the Justice Department that are of, quote, personal interest to the president, including the Flynn case. And, of course, the sentencing, like I mentioned, of a Trump associate, Roger Stone. He was convicted of witness tampering and lying to Congress. It's not like he did nothing wrong here, folks. The inquiry also coincides with recent moves by Trump to vindicate his allies and exact revenge on his perceived enemies, including individuals who were involved with special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation or who testified in House Democrats impeachment probe. In early January, prosecutors recommended that Flynn serve up to six months in jail, but they were overruled three weeks later on January 29th when the government submitted a new sentencing recommendation to the judge saying probation for Flynn was appropriate. Let me remind you, after not just Flynn, but Stone, not one, not two, not three, but four federal prosecutors walked out of the Justice Department, left their jobs, their paychecks, their livelihood over these actions. The inquiry into Flynn's FBI interview could be aimed at several former officials Trump has repeatedly criticized publicly. Those include former FBI Director James Comey and former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe, who, by the way, is not going to be indicted. It was announced today. They also said it could be part of an effort to make a presidential pardon of Flynn more palatable. And Trump has not ruled out pardoning Flynn or pardoning Stone. He was asked this week, two days ago, if he was considering a pardon of Stone. And he said, quote, I don't want to say yet. Code speak for he's thinking about it. On Tuesday this week, four prosecutors on the Stone case, as I mentioned, resigned. One of them left the government entirely. And that was after the Justice Department intervened to reduce their recommended sentence for Stone. By the way, to have four federal prosecutors on such a case means it's pretty important. Okay. Um, And they had recommended seven to nine years in prison. The announcement of the reduction came hours after the president publicly complained that the recommended sentence was too harsh. He complained on his on Twitter like he normally does with a tirade, like a child, like he normally does and normally acts like. The FBI interviewed Flynn at the White House about his Russia contacts in January of 2017 on the 24th of that month, four days after Trump's inauguration. Comey and McCabe signed off on sending two agents to interview Flynn. One of them was Peter Strzok. The Justice Department Inspector General had said that the opening of the investigation was legitimate. And Friday, the department informed McCabe today he would not face criminal charges and investigation into whether he lied about a leak to the media. Trump's made clear, by the way, that he believes Strzok, Comey, and McCabe should be charged with criminal wrongdoing for their role in the Russian investigation. So I guess Barr's not the lapdog when it comes to McCabe that he has been when it comes to it would seem Flynn and certainly with Stone uh, to Trump. Uh, This is what Trump said Wednesday. If you look at what happened, how many people were hurt? Their lives were destroyed and nothing happened with all the people that did it and launched the scam. Where is Comey? What's happening to McCabe? By the way, how many people have smoked a lot of pot? got caught with a lot of pot of their own and are because of mandatory minimums and never hurt anybody serving many years more than that in prison. 
So please, shut the blank up. He asked the same about Strzok and added it was a whole setup. It was a disgrace for our country. Jensen's inquiry seems similar to the one Barr assigned to the U.S. Attorney in Connecticut, John Durham, and he is examining the origins of that FBI investigation into the potential ties between Trump's 2016 campaign and Russia. That inquiry, by the way, evolved into a criminal investigation. So, of course, that raises questions about whether Jensen's may as well. Let's rip another. (laughs) President Donald Trump demanded New York City Governor Andrew Cuomo drop all of New York State's lawsuits against him prior to a meeting between the two yesterday to discuss the suspension of travel programs known as Global Entry that would benefit immigrants along with other New Yorkers. By the way, Global Entry also benefits. My husband has it. I'm getting it. People that travel a lot. Business travels. Travelers, especially people that travel internationally. The lines are hell if you're trying to get connections like me. When you live in Los Angeles, you go to Europe and you fly usually through uh, New York or Boston. Uh, he, quote, he must understand that national security far exceeds politics. Well, if now, na- what the hell does national security have to do with dropping lawsuits against Donald Trump? That would be political and personal. Uh, and- Anyway, uh, this is a week after the Department of Homeland Security announced it was suspending New York residents from participating in trusted travel programs, not just global entry, other ones too. That make it easier to return to the U.S. from forward trips. The move was in response to New York passing the Green Light Law. It allows undocumented immigrants to obtain driver's licenses and participate in the TTP. Bottom line, it's retribution and punishment to New York, the city, the governor, the state, for being a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state. And that's what Trump and the Republicans do. They don't play fair. This is why you got to vote. If you want decorum, if you want fairness, if you want things to go back to where they were, which is we are respected and not laughed at throughout the world, you got to get off your ass and vote in November. And you got to vote blue no matter who. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Coming up, our guest and more after this. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. Joining us is Tennessee businessman, founder and CEO of Card Marketing Services. He's also vice chair of an organization we've had on the show before. I'm a big fan of. They're called the Patriotic Millionaires. His name is Mr. Stephen Prince. And as many of you know from listening to the show, my previous interviews with other Patriotic Millionaires like Erica Payne, Morris Pearl, Abigail Disney, the Patriotic Millionaires is a group of hundreds of high net worth Americans who are committed to making all Americans better off by building a more prosperous, stable, and inclusive nation. The group focuses on promoting public policy solutions that encourage political equality, guarantee a sustaining wage for working Americans, and ensure that millionaires, billionaires, and corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's fair. That's the right thing to do. More than a pleasure to have with us Mr. Stephen Prince. Mr. Prince, thank you for taking the time today, sir, and joining us. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you too, Leslie. You know, I've tried to wish every woman that I've met all day today a happy Valentine's. And, uh, and uh, it, 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 you know, it's kind of a made-up holiday, but I still love it. And taking my wife and my daughter out to dinner tonight. So it's just good to be to just be in love, right? Absolutely. Either your mama raised you right, your wife trained you well, or both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my mother's 93 years old, and I don't think there are many things in life that she would rather hear than you bragging on her son. So I'll, I'll have to get you with her on the phone. Absolutely. And I'm glad to hear that, sir. Um, This week, Uh, The president released his 2021 fiscal year budget. In that budget, he calls for significant cuts 
to many programs he said he would never cut. What a surprise the president lied. Uh, the budget calls for significant cuts to domestic spending and primarily social safety net programs. It also projects extending the administration's signature 2017 tax cuts through the end of the decade. Uh, let, let's let's break this down. Republicans often like to demonize Democrats because Democrats want to spend more on a domestic level because, you know, when when you have the government help uh, its people and the people can do better, the people people go out and buy and they invest in their own economy within their own uh, nation. Um, but we're also looking at things they've slashed in the past. And this president has said that he wouldn't social safety net programs. And uh, again, that 2017 uh, tax cut package. I want to go backwards and start with the 2017 tax cut package because every top economist that I spoke to said that that was a disaster for the middle class and lower income families uh, in this nation. It might have sounded good up front, you know, maybe had a good headline, looked good on paper, but it benefited once again the rich, the wealthy, and the corporations. Am I correct in that? You're exactly uh, correct in that. You know, the thing that, about the, the budget proposal that the president has uh, pushed forward, it almost to me is like a joke. I, I find it a little hard to believe that that he has the nerve to, to present something that is so harmful to so many people in the country. But I think that it's just a testament to the fact that the people who, who really need the government the most, the working class today, who were injured once again by the 2017 tax, uh, law that was passed, the, the Bush tax cuts that were in 2002, 2003, the Reagan cuts in 1983, all the way back to 1973, the people the, the people who are voting for the Republicans, and I'll have to say, you can tell by the way that I talk, I'm from and in the South, the people down here are the ones who are getting the most injured by this, but they continue to support these draconian policies that the Republicans and the president specifically continue to shove down their throat and it's just amazing they're sticking poison down their throat they're convincing that it's chocolate covered cherries it's the craziest thing i've ever seen uh you had uh written a response um to these uh, to this new budget for the uh, next fiscal year i don't want to read the whole thing because we have you with us but i want to point out some things that uh, I found very interesting and I agree with you 100%. I'd like you to share with our listeners and, and maybe, you know, expand on it and talk about why. Uh, you talk about the White House budget not just being some fiscal plan drawn up by our accountants. And I think a lot of people do think, um, you know, uh, you know, most ta- most taxpayers think, you know, that's what it is. Um, you say it, it's a political statement and that political statement is intended to show Americans where this administration's priorities are and where they lie for the years ahead. I agree with you 100 percent. Can you can you speak to that, please? Well, the thing that continues to frustrate me with the the working class, I mean, look, America is divided basically into three different segments. You got the crazy people on the left and the crazy people on the right, and the vast majority of us live in the middle. You know, probably 80 percent of us live in the middle. And those of us that live in the middle care about everybody. That's the thing that's so wonderful about America is we really want to help everybody, not only in our own country, but in the world. And, but, but for some reason, we continue to believe that the Republicans and the conservatives on the right, because they keep saying, I mean, I, I, was, in, I was in Washington, D.C. in October of 2017 and asked Ted Cruz, why are we giving ourselves a tax break now? I don't need a tax break. We need to 
to fund the government so we can continue to take care of people. But the, the people who need the government's help so much continue to be duped by the, by the conservatives and the Republicans and all of my friends. You know, all of my wealthy friends, they love these tax cuts. They don't need them, but they love them. And, 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 but the people that need for the government to stand up for them for health care, for education, for infrastructure, all the things that the people struggle with in the country, not only in our country, but in every society, all the things that they need, we're, we're cutting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. I mean, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, here he is. He's, He's proposing more cuts to Medicare and Medicaid. He's taking money away from the EPA. He's taking money away from infrastructure. He's taking away. Where is he? he? You know where he's adding money? The military. That's the only place that the guy continues, not only him, but the conservatives in general. But we think and we forget about all these safety nets that so many people in our society depend on just to survive. I, I, I don't know, Leslie. It just continues to astound me that the people that, that need government most continue to vote for these guys that continue to, to, to cut the throats of the people who, who need and depend on our government of all levels, state, local, and federal. I, I don't know. It just, and, and oh, by the way, you know, back in 2000, when I was there in 2017, October, they were telling me that the, that once again, that these tax cuts are going to supercharge the economy and it's, and we're going to raise enough tax revenue in the process that, that there won't be any deficit. So what do we have? We don't get the five to six percent GP growth that they had predict, predicted that we would. Instead, it did, it did get up to close to three percent. But what did it do? It poured, put more money into my pocket. More money into the pockets of the wealthy and the poor. Well, they got a they got a, a rock. It's just, it's a travesty. Is it fair to say? And, and by the way, you're right. Funding the military and then taking money from the military for his damn wall. Uh, that that's not going to do uh, anything with uh, you know helpful with regard uh, to uh, immigration. Uh, this this budget is it fair to say? Because you know, look, we have things that are. Um, you know, fiscally the right thing to do or fiscally responsible. But, you know, Morris Pearl one time on my show, you know, we he said it's morally the right thing to do to take care of people, to fund health care, education, SNAP, Social Security and other social safety net programs that this uh, budget uh, proposes to cut. Is this cruel and immoral? I think it is. I, 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 not, and I think all of us that see it the way that you're, that Morris says, and and that I would agree with a hundred percent, it is immoral what we're doing. But but as a business guy, I also come back to the to constantly to the reality that I would contend that our government, if we put more money into the pockets of the people who will spend it, not my pockets, the pockets of the people who will go to Walmart who will buy new cars, I would contend that not cutting def- not cutting uh, taxes for the wealthy would be an investment in America. If we put money in the pockets of the spenders rather than the savers and investors, people like me, they will drive our economy. I think we would achieve those higher levels of growth that the Republicans continue to tout if we put the money in the pockets of the spenders. The, the working class, I did, but yes, absolutely. I don't mean to ignore what you're saying. 
it is immoral what we're doing to, to the to the poor. And let me also mention one one quickly. Uh, somebody I, I heard the other day, I think, it was on NPR, was talking about how much money we have spent in the Middle East in the last, since since 2002 when we first went into into Iraq, almost six trillion dollars, five point six trillion dollars. And what and and now we're leaving there with our tail between our legs. What did we achieve other than losing thousands of Americans, spending trillions of dollars? And and I and and the the point was made in this article that what could we have done with that five point six trillion dollars instead of military spending? And one of the points that they made that I think is one of the most pressing problems in the United States today, and that's the $1.3 trillion in education debt that young people in America are suffering. So we could have taken $1.3 of that $5.6 trillion that we spent in lost militaristic causes and at least got our kids out of debt so they could buy houses and buy cars. So, yes, it's absolutely immoral, and I think business-wise it's stupid what we're doing. I agree. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. I like you. I'm glad you came on today. I hope you'll come back again, even if it's not a holiday. Um, tell your mom I said that. I, li- I like you. I'm going to like her. I can tell. Uh, Mr. Stephen Prince is our guest, Tennessee businessman, founder and CEO of Card Marketing Service, vice chair of the Patriotic Millionaires. Uh, you can go to the web- website for Patriotic Millionaires if you're not familiar with them or haven't. It's patrioticmillionaires.org. On Twitter, you can follow them at Patriotic Mills. And Mr. Prince can be followed at Stephen Prince 51. That's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Prince, P-R-I-N-C-E, 5-1. We'll be back after this. We're back. Mr. Stephen Prince is our guest. He is vice chair of the Patriotic Millionaires, a Tennessee businessman, founder and CEO of Card Marketing Services. Mr. Prince, thank you for holding. Welcome back. We were talking about the Trump administration's 2021 budget uh, that lays out cruel priorities favoring the rich at the expense of the poor. Let's break some of this down, uh, Mr. Prince. Uh, one, you had touched upon this earlier, the massive cuts to Medicare and, and Medicaid. And when we talk about massive, that's $4.8 trillion federal uh, bu- budgets that would cut federal spending on Medicare by $750 billion over the next de- decade. And in addition to $844 billion in reductions to Medicaid and other health care assistance programs during that same time frame. So that people understand this is really screwing old people and people who have disabilities and the poor, kicking people that are down and, and kicking them down further. You know, the thing that, that constantly amazes me about about health care and, and, and what we've seen happen in the country since Obama got the ACA passed in 08, 09, whenever it was, and we finally got it through and wound up losing both houses of Congress because of it, is we, we had 46 million people in America that had no health care whatsoever. Now, think about that. 46 million people in the country, the richest country, not only in the world, but in the history of mankind. And we've got 46 million people who don't have the ability to go to the hospital and get taken care of if they if they have a health problem. Now, we, we passed ACA. We got about, I think it's 23, 24 million of those 46 million people covered in one form or the other. Just since Trump took office. Two million of those people that we got covered in that process have since lost their coverage. Now, if that's a next-door neighbor, if that's your brother, that's your sister or a cousin, that's significant. 
But for some reason, when these people who vote for this crazy, these policies and these people who are bringing these policies to our to our doorsteps, they they can't understand that. You know, they they talk. I find it so funny. I get into these arguments with these people down here. They talk about look at all the things that Trump has done in the time that he's been in office. And I say, well, wait a minute. Don't don't confuse me with the facts. Tell me what it is that he's done. And he really hasn't done anything. The guy has got nothing substantive passed. And, and, and I'm hoping that some of these cuts that he's proposing uh, in, in his budget don't go through. I mean, it, it, people just don't understand the devastation that this is going to cause in people's lives. So many people in our society depend on the government to be there for them. And that's what a government is supposed to do. It's supposed to be there for everyone, not just we rich people. It, 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 the, the imbalance and the lack of consideration for the people who need the government to take care of them is, is just unconscionable. And as you said earlier, immoral. And I tend to go on and on, Leslie, so I'm sorry. I probably got off track there. No, I actually like it. You and I have that in common. <laughs> and, 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 and no, I don't, I don't think you got off track because, you know, it all comes back to the same thing. Uh, let's talk about SNAP cuts. Uh, some people are not as familiar with that. That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program known as SNAP. Uh, the budget would kick nearly 3.7 million Americans um, out of this program. That slashes $182 billion from SNAP over the next decade. Now, now, look, I am not an economist, but I think common sense God gave out pretty much equally distributed and we got to use it sometimes. And my common sense tells me that if you're kicking 3.7 million Americans out of a supplemental nutrition assistance program, those people are going to have to go elsewhere or those people are going to end up going elsewhere like the emergency room because they're going to be sick because they're not having the proper nutritional assistance that they need being kicked out of this program. Um, in, in other words... They, they, they make cuts that will further uh, distribute if they're just looking at economics and not people and, and not caring about people and their lives and their quality of life. If they make these cuts uh, here, the, it's just going to add money elsewhere if you're just looking at this purely economically. Am I, am I correct in that? Well, you know, it just I guess one of my greatest frustrations is when we start talking about these numbers, just the, the dollars themselves, is that we lose sight of the fact that the, the people who are going to be harmed by this are human beings. And we're talking about, we're talking about people that, that, that will not have food to eat. We're talking about kids that are three, four, five, six years old. They're going to go to school hungry because we decide that we need to cut my taxes, wealthy people's taxes. We need to cut corporations' taxes so that they can put more money into the pockets of we wealthy people. And in the meantime, people are going to have health problems and they can't go to the hospital because they can't be, they don't have any coverage unless, of course, they go to the emergency room, which is an absurd economic decision. And, and they can't eat. Uh, and Leslie, how how is it that we can square that in our heart and our soul that it's okay for a four, five, six, seven year old kid uh, to to not have food? And and I'll I'll tell you one thing that I hear down down here in the South all the time is that the, the, the friends of mine that that lament the fact that the government is taking care of the people who don't deserve it. Who is that? 
who doesn't deserve to be taken care of? I mean, how could a human being, you know, because what they decide is all these friends of mine say that the reason people are down and out, the reason they don't have food or they don't have health care is because they're lazy. And that's just not true. These are some of these, some of these people, a lot of these people are children. So how can you determine that a 10 or 11 or 12 year old child is lazy? They just, they're just in a bad spot. And, and, and you know what? If we didn't have the money to take care of them, that'd be one thing. But we have the money. We're just distributing it unfairly in the country. And tax law has done it. The tax law has changed the distribution method of dollars in America, and it's all piling up at the top, and it's not working its way down to the masses. And and I'm, I would contend it won't last. We can't go on like this forever. We can't we can't abuse as many of the people in our in our country as our tax law is allowing we rich people to to do. Just it's just not right. It's not fair. Absolutely. They're cutting cancer research. There are devastating cuts to the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. They're cutting education. The list goes on. All of these cuts harm us as human beings, whether it's the air we breathe, the water we drink, the ability to have proper nutrition, the ability to have proper research in order to kill the big C, which kills so many of us. Your your, your final thoughts, Mr. Prince. Well, you know, the thing that I I keep coming back to is that we all have a moral responsibility to our fellow man. And that's one of the things that this this country has always stood on. Anybody in the world, when they thought about leaving their country, whether it was in Africa or or Europe or Asia, wherever it was, the country they all thought about coming to was America, the United States of America, that bright, shining place on the hill, as I think it was Reagan said. We're losing a lot of our luster. As, as long as we continue to focus more and more of our attention on, on the wealthy people and our large corporations, we're not the country that we were and we're not the country that we that I was raised in. So I, I hope we can turn it around. I hope we can turn around before it's too late. But thanks to people like you that are getting the word out, hopefully we can and we can get a pe- get enough of the people to vote for the right people in November this year. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Prince. I thank you for being with us. Once again, Mr. Stephen Prince, as I mentioned, is the vice chair of the Patriotic Millionaires, also a businessman in Tennessee and founder and CEO of Card Marketing Services. Follow him on Twitter at Stephen with a PH at Stephen Prince 51. Follow the Patriotic Millionaires at Patriotic Mills and the website PatrioticMillionaires.org. Happy Valentine's Day. 